0: That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Ahoy, Mets
1: fans. Welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. I am Brian. With me, as always, is Chris. And... Uh, We've got uh, a very different show than we had last week. You and I were talking before we started recording, Chris, about how how different the show feels. Not the show, rather the team feels today versus a week ago. Um, Obviously, winning goes a long way. Obviously, uh, you know taking two out of three from the Tigers should have been easy because the Tigers are a bad team, but you know, all those things sort of led to this sort of, uh, this sense of confidence in the team, but also the last two games in LA, the team has looked okay. I mean, they lost Monday night's game because of some bad bullpen performances, but they hung in there around, you know, with Kershaw and I think the team just feels very, very different right now than it did, you know, a week, two weeks ago. So how much of this is for real? Are the Mets more the team that we had 10 days ago, or are they more the team that we have right now?
0: I guess I'd say more right now, only because my very unbold prediction for the season was that it could go any way and make sense. So to be exactly 500 at the time that we're recording this, um, you know, and obviously they, they got there on Sunday, <clears throat> they lost the game, they won a the game, they got back to that point. It's uh, It's fitting. It, I don't necessarily think they'll finish eighty-one and eighty-one, but that's uh, that's certainly in the range of outcomes that you might expect. So, yeah, it's it, it, what's nice is that last year, May just really did them in. You know, they they had a nice record the rest of the way. Um, it didn't matter, <laughs> 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 so they avoided that complete spiral. And even though there have been in-game decisions that Mickey Calloway has made over the last week, um, double-switching Pete Alonso out of a tie game in the ninth being the most <laughs> egregious, yeah. um, it's looking like staying the course with that decision uh, and, and with some of the other decisions has been the right move. Obviously, that could change. Um, I, I wouldn't put big money on the Mets going on a tear and, and making it back to the postseason. But they went through a tough stretch. They've rebounded from it. And, you know, they're in a spot now that the division is still in play. Uh, it certainly helps that the division has just been weaker than everybody predicted it to be but that's okay. You know that that's part of what you do when when you try to compete in Major League Baseball. You have to stay relevant in your division even with two wild cards. Right. So so yeah, it's I'm not I'll put it this way, I guess. When they sent out a thing yesterday saying it's the deadline for prorated 20 game plans. I didn't buy a ticket plan you know, I'm not. I'm not that confident that <laughs> right. things have gone well. But things are they're they're okay. And the longer you can go through a season and feel like, hey, this week of games coming up matters, uh, the the more enjoyable I think baseball is.
1: Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Uh, I think that it's a very good sign that the Mets are playing a team that everybody thinks is considerably better than them, and they're not being, like, they're not being knocked around so hard that it's laughable, you know. And obviously baseball, baseball's a game where even the worst team in the league is going to win 50 games. But, you know, teams can look overmatched often. And the Mets, this series, haven't looked overmatched yet. And that's that's a good sign just for how they are doing in terms of their their confidence, and just, you know, sort of projecting out what you hope the team can do the rest of the way. And the reason I say projecting out the rest of the way is because the Mets still have a fair amount of their roster on the disabled list. You know, off the top of my head, Seth Lugo, Justin Wilson, Robinson Cano, Jeff McNeil, Brandon Nimmo, uh, Jed Lowry. Anybody else I'm forgetting? Um, Technically, Joanna Cespedes.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, we, you know, we we've gotten to a point that we know he's on the injured list through the end of the season. Right. Yeah. I mean, it was. But that's still like
1: that's a fifth of the starting day, uh, or even a fourth of the starting day, the opening day roster. Yeah. You know, it's crazy.
0: Yeah, no, it's. uh, I feel like was it one or two episodes ago that I brought up. Oh they haven't had to deal with that many injuries yet and <laughs> yeah it it was either immediate or fairly shortly after that they <laughs> that they had them all crop up but uh it, on top of some of the returns sounding like they're a little bit closer uh the uh Kno's case they haven't said exactly when, but it sounds like he's gonna be back relatively soon uh On top of that, Conforto actually coming back. You know, he hit the Grand Slam that was essentially the difference in the victory on Tuesday night. Uh, He's – we keep saying it, and I think it's true. Uh, I know Allison tweeted something to this effect, and it's come up a couple of times that I've written about him. He kind of flies under the radar, and he's a really good hitter. For the for the regulars, he is the Mets best hitter this year, and that's not exactly surprising. Right.
1: Um yeah. It's also been nice to see and I, I am not ready to uh to extend him, don't get me wrong. It's been nice to see Todd Frazier hitting the last couple of days. Yeah. You know, just just having uh having him not be an offensive black hole has been a really nice thing. And, uh, you know, you hope that he makes the decision tough when everyone gets healthy of sort of who's going to be playing because you hope that he continues this. But, I mean, he looked absolutely done two weeks ago.
0: Right. And as someone who has defended players who are over 30 uh, and and adamantly defended Curtis Granderson just about a couple years ago, uh, almost exactly, Hmm. it's... And it's just a reminder that, yes, of course, players have decline phases at some point. I mean, the the best of the best of the best maintain an above-average level of play and retire and await their Hall of Fame induction. But, you know, for the for the most part, every player looks human at some point. But most of the time, and I know that we might have experienced – the opposite of this uh, as Mets fans over the years, but most of the time a guy doesn't go from being a useful, productive hitter, and I'm not saying Fraser necessarily was last year, but he was below league average by WRC+, plus, um, but not drastically below. So I guess my overall point here is guys don't usually just completely fall off a cliff from one year to the next it's i think it's typically a little bit more gradual than that so his resurgence his climb back to a respectable batting line uh, he's not there yet but you know as he goes in that direction it's a reminder that he wasn't necessarily going to go from good useful major league hitter at the age of 31 to completely gone from major league baseball at 33.
1: Right. Uh, Although I I will say that I think that Frazier has one of the odder skill sets in baseball. Like he doesn't, to me, I, I, I could see him aging very weirdly based on the type of player he is, I guess is what I'm saying. There are certain players where I think it's pretty easy to predict what their decline will look like. But because of the type of player Frazier is, I don't think that I necessarily can tell you. I mean, I, I can't tell you how anyone's going to decline definitively, but you understand what I'm saying. Like, There are certain players yeah. who just know, like, once their bat speed goes, that's it. Or once their wheels go, that's it. You know, he doesn't have, he just, he's an interestingly constructed player in terms of what he's good at. So I don't know what his decline is going to look like.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, it, it's something that came up with Keon Broxton, too. And not not that he's in the same phase of his career or not that he has the Major League track record that Frazier had. Uh, but it's the Ted Berg song. You, <laughs> yep. <laughs> you you got to let things play out a little bit more before you make definitive conclusions. And... It's easy to to see a guy, and you know, we, we know his age. We know what he's done, and it's easy to start thinking the worst, and then get into confirmation bias. And uh, I think I think Curtis Granderson's toast. And I went to a game in person, and he struck out three times. I you know that. That notion is hard to shake, and I feel like the one thing with baseball, and, and I'm not writing off the decline that can happen with guys, but the one thing with baseball that we should learn on a year-to-year basis is that you got to give things time to to shake out. And a month from now, Todd Frazier might have plummeted, and he, he may be toast. Uh, and I'm I'm not saying he necessarily even should start every day if the Mets ever get to a fully healthy infield roster. If Chad Lowry ever plays a game as a Met.
1: If he exists.
0: Uh, we can't be sure he
1: exists anymore.
0: Right, yeah. Yeah. know, he's he's in PSL purgatory. And I like Port St. Louis, don't get me wrong. I like it for a week. <laughs> yeah. Say no more.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, um, to me, the player that, aside from Frazier, has been the most pleasant surprise, and, and this is one that I I don't think you can count on in any way to continue, and that's no offense to him. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm on this podcast in three months talking about, you know, surefire National League MVP, Adini Echevarria, but, you know... It, he he's really looked quite good as of late and not just the home runs. He's been taking good at bats. He, you know, he, he had a crucial walk in last night's game. He's been playing a decent second base in Cano's, you know, stead. Um, And to me, the most hilarious thing and hilarious is the wrong word for it. But I don't know if you heard Mickey Calloway's comments that apparently they had to work really hard to sign him. That they took him out to dinner on Valentine's Day. Did you hear this?
0: Yeah, yeah, yes, I remember
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> um, which is, you know, again, just a very strange thing for the team to do for Adani Echevarria. We were lamenting a few weeks ago on the podcast, you know, them even bringing him up because we felt like it was a waste of of money. You know, that he'll make like three million dollars or so this season because he was called up, and how we felt that money could be better used elsewhere. I, I still feel there is better use of money in baseball than a Danny But I have to say it, it's been, it's been nice watching him play a little bit. What have your impressions of him been?
0: Well, it, it, the power certainly has been surprising and it's not like he's a guy who had zero major league home runs to his name. Uh, but usually it's been, I don't know, at a slower rate than this, I think is a yeah. fair way of putting it. Uh, his isolated slugging right now is 275 for his career it's 093 <laughs> so yeah. yeah there's there's somewhat of a lightning in a bottle kind of thing going on with him right now and he's already done more than than I would have ever expected when they signed him uh you know it's something that I do not expect to continue and I'm rooting for it, too, of course. Uh, if you're a player, uh, barring specific circumstances that have nothing to do with baseball, if you're generally, if you're a player wearing a Mets uniform, I'm rooting for you to su- succeed, whether I liked you as a player before or not. Uh, and you even hear players express things like that. Um, uh, who was it? Was it McNeil or was it somebody else? No, no, no. It was uh, O'Rourke. Got my Irish names mixed up there, uh, but it was O'Rourke who had said that he had pitched against Gomez and hated him uh, at some point in his career, and then wound up on the same team as as Gomez, and was like, "Oh, this guy's awesome. He's the best. When he's on my team, I love him." You know, so that there's there's that factor. I fully expect. Hatchvoria to return to his career norms, and in his defense, he's generally rated as a slightly positive war player, even when he's hitting very, very poorly. Uh, So obviously that's heavily dependent on his defense, but yeah, it's Rajay Davis hit a big home run, and Hatch has hit three home runs. And as you said, worked other at-bats that that were significant. You know, I don't think we're looking at a a revelation that he's suddenly figured it out. But it's nice when you get those things to break your way. When this, you know, 2019 Rajai Davis and Carlos Gomez and Hechevarria come in and give you contributions at a time that, you really need them, it makes it fun. Well, I was
1: talking to my father in law about this recently because he, he's a big Mets fan too. And we were saying that if the Mets had not signed every seemingly washed up or close to washed up outfielder they could get to a minor league deal late in spring, who would be playing for the Mets right now? You know, we, we talked about this on the, on the show a little bit too a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, it's just it's really been a nice thing to see these depth signings work out. And all you need them to do is work out in the short term. You don't need to find an everyday player from those minor league signings. But the fact that they have Hechevarria playing second base for the 10 days or so Cano's going to be out, you know, and holding his own and hitting a couple of home runs and all that, that really does impact your season. To not lose everything when someone's out is a huge, huge boon. And I think that the combination of Rajay Davis and Carlos Gomez and Gregor Blanco and whoever else the Mets sign, all those guys over the course of the season will definitely not equal out to if you had a full healthy season of Brandon Nimmo, let's say. right, uh, But getting a full healthy season of anybody these days is, is risky. I mean, not just these days, any day is risky. So I I think, I guess this is a long winded way of me again, praising the parts of the team that Brody Van Wagenen decided needed depth and lamenting that he didn't take this same attitude towards starting pitching because for not a lot of money, he could have done the same thing for the starting pitching. Right. And, to a certain
0: extent, the bullpen
1: too. Yes, agreed. I'm a little bit more forgiving on the bullpen, if only just because bullpen guys are so hard to predict. Um, but anybody could have told you the Mets would need starting pitching depth. You know. Yeah. Just, um, but yeah, is there anybody else that you particularly want to talk about in terms of the Mets? You know, their role players. Uh, you know, stepping up.
0: Hmm. Uh, I guess Gomez a little more just himself because he's a guy who, I don't know, it might be easy to romanticize it because he came up through the system, made his debut at the Mets, um, was obviously a, a significant piece in the non-trade in 2015. The whole... The whole history of it all. Uh, but if I'm going to say Frazier's not totally watched at 33, or, or at least suggest that he might not be, then I should be doing the same for Gomez, who's the same age. So, yeah, I, look, I don't think he's going to recapture what he did in his breakout years with the Brewers. Those That was... Five years ago was the most recent one, you know, <laughs> but he is a guy who in 2017 had a, a, a slash line that looks fairly similar to what he's doing now. Uh, not, not identical, but he's not that old and the success isn't that long ago where I could see him being uh, a fun player to watch, somebody who... Brings joy to the game because of the way he plays it, but also comes up with things that help te- helps the team win games. Um, so, yeah. it's Ideally, I want him to be the fourth or fifth outfielder on a healthy team. But I don't know. Of, of all these guys, he's, he's the one who I could say he might stick around. If Nimmo's neck thing and, – and it's already gotten – one step more serious. Well, just the
1: the, the phrase bulging disc is never good.
0: Right. Uh, And it was stiff neck, injured list, and then bulging disc. Uh, I hope he's back soon. And I, I hope his struggles earlier in the season were primarily because of that. And if it's addressed and you know he's getting to a place where he feels good, feels like he can play his normal game. Absolutely, I, I want him in there every day because we saw what he can do last year, and I don't think that was a fluke. But, man, I if if the team got fully healthy and had too many outfielders, which doesn't look like it's going to be the case anytime soon, but if that did happen and you needed the roster spot, I might keep Gomez over Ligaris, even though even though diminished Ligaris is still definitely a center fielder, and the Mets might be short on those in that situation. Yeah. yeah. I'm just saying, I would consider getting Ligaris off the roster uh, before Gomez.
1: I mean... I've known that you're a crazy person before, but this is sort of new evidence to that, uh, you know, to to that. No, I'm, I'm half (laughs) kidding. You know, it's just, it's a lit to me, that is very much a, uh, a lot would have to happen before I felt comfortable with that. Because I think that Ligaris is, I mean, he is, he is a worse hitter than Gomez. No one is going to argue otherwise but I don't know if the total package of Lagaris is considerably worse than the total package of Gomez. And I think that what Gomez does is not as hard to replicate out of other pieces as what Lagaris does.
0: Yeah. I just need to see Lagaris play great defense for a month or a week, <laughs> just something. I need something to get me back on board with him. Beyond this year, I'm fine. You know, this is if he can do that and just kind of be his average healthy self and or healthiest self, I should say. You know, this is a guy who his most played appearances in a single season over the last three years is 272. Mm-hmm. But if he can go out and play center field in a way, and maybe it's just the games I've seen. Or maybe it's the batting line making me, you know, be that much farther down on him that anything that goes wrong in center field I'm fixating on. But whatever the case, if he can go out and just play that vintage A plus center field, then I might not say things like keep Carlos Gomez instead of him. But <laughs> I just need I need to see it. I need something.
1: I understand that. I do. I've also long been a Ligaris apologist, and I recognize that. So we shall see, I suppose. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs)
0: Cannolis and spins mean everything. Now you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot Someday I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChumbaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group.
1: Void are prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I do want to talk for a minute about Wilson Ramos. because Ramos was, I mean, even as of this time last week, uh, a number of us on Amazing Avenue were talking about how he just seemed to lose the ability to elevate the ball in any way. He was just hitting the ball on the ground. He was hitting the opposite field a lot and getting lots of singles, but he was supposed to be a relative source of power for this team and just had not been doing anything of the sort, Uh, just not elevating anything and just generally looking like a singles hitter, which is not what you want Wilson Ramos to be. But then on Saturday, he broke out big time, drove in four runs, hit two home runs, and, you know, he's starting to look a little bit more like himself sort of historically. Um, Do you think that Ramos is going to, at the end of the season, pull the trick that, like, the Jets do every year, where the Jets can start off great or start off terrible, but they always end the season 500? Is... (laughs) is um is Ramos going to end the season looking like Wilson Ramos I think.
0: Yeah. I think so. Uh it, you know, it's the last 3 years would really be uh, overall his breakout, right? He he had some nice seasons early in his career uh, where he was a better than league average hitter, uh you know, put together several wins in war. Then he kind of dipped and he has the LASIK surgery last three seasons overall. uh, 16 and 18 were great. 17 was not so good, uh, mainly because he didn't play all that much and didn't hit quite as well when he did. But I would bet on landing somewhere in that Norm of the last three years. He's 31. I know catching is, it, it takes a toll in a way that other positions don't. Uh, I know some of the things he's done behind the plate have been frustrating, but yeah. I, and look, he's not Grandal. He, neither one of them is Piazza. We're not talking about a guy who's going to hit 30, 35 home runs. But I would expect that he'll end up somewhere in the high teens, low 20s, especially given the context of what the baseball is doing this year when guys hit it in the air. So, yeah, I I wouldn't say a safe bet, but I would say it's fairly likely that he winds up somewhere near the 16 through 18 level, which overall is very good for a catcher. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean be, being ahead. in a game in person that he dominates helps. <laughs> if we yes, it, it, you see that there's not that it doesn't impress you when you see it on TV, but your average non-Pete Alonso division home run <laughs> on TV is oh hey look that was good Uh, alonzo i think is the only guy who on in that format can blow you away yeah i think it's much easier to be blown away by normal home runs when you see them in person because that gives you perspective that your television just doesn't so i don't know Uh, maybe and uh, we all have reasons to uh to be on board with players, it could go back to the conversation with the scout who totally didn't work for the Twins, but worked for the Twins, who defended trading him away at the time, uh, vehemently to my Twins fan cousin and me, and us being sure that he was wrong. And the more Wilson Ramos does that's good in his career, the more I feel good about the conversation we had that night. <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I guess sort of just before we wrap up, what's the... Um, of all of these sort of random players that we've, that we've been seeing play a little bit here, a little bit there, is there one that you think has a legitimate shot at not just sticking around? Is there anybody that has a legitimate shot of taking... I'm trying to think of the... Way to phrase this? Is there anybody who who has earned themselves a playoff roster spot, or is in the potential to offer that? You know, when you when you're really putting together your best team and you're sort of not worrying about anything but fielding the best team, will any of these guys be in that conversation if the
0: Mets find themselves in that position? I guess, I mean, I guess I go back to Gomez for that because there isn't that much outfield depth and. Even if Nemo is healthy, you're still looking at five outfielders, mm-hmm. uh, six if you or six and a half seven depending on how you count McNeil, Davis. But Gomez seems like the guy who could be that fit. I, what I think in the short term will happen, especially if Hecheveria keeps up any level of production over the next few days, is people will want him starting over Cano which is insane and yes, wrong. Yes, it
1: is. Yes, it is.
0: Uh, just to be clear about <laughs> it. But those... Gomez, for the outfield depth reason, and then if you really get into like the specifics of a playoff roster, you could make an argument for Rajai Davis because he's probably still the fastest of these guys, even though he's 38. Sure. So... If you wanted that speed weapon in in a postseason game, then you can make an argument that he makes sense for that kind of roster. So, yeah. Uh, any any differences on your side in terms of one of these guys being the one who you would who say, "Hey, he might be one of the twenty five best players in this organization right now."
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um I think that there is an argument to be made for uh for Roger Davis for the exact reason that you said that he is he has a skill that is hard to come by in this organization. Uh but I think that when you look at Gomez, Gomez has the potential to be what, what do you want to say, seventy five percent that, but also bring something else that Davis is not going to bring to the to the plate, you know? Um in terms of just you know being a, a bit of a better defender and a bit of a better hitter probably at this point in his career um so i don't know i uh and, you know i know people are going to hate on this because we mentioned the playoff roster i didn't mean you know i just meant like you said the best 25 players in the organization right now right um, but i think that there's there could be a, a case made for um if this keeps up at all for Echeverria to be the primary backup uh, shortstop, I mean, backup infielder for this team. I don't know who else would even be in that consideration right now. I mean, I guess Guillaume, um, and I guess technically Dom Smith's a backup infielder, even though Dom Smith is really just a backup first baseman, which right. is, we all know is a very different thing.
0: Although uh, he's, starting in, he's starting in the outfield tonight.
1: Oh, I saw that. It's going to be an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I, I guess right now you might as well try it. You got nobody else to play right now. But it just seems like a big mistake. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay, good. I wanted, to make sure, <laughs> I wanted to make sure you didn't turn into a Dom Smith and left field truther uh, over the last week or so.
0: No. I, I have been talking about this organization's rich history of playing people in the outfield who don't belong there. So I kind of think just keep doing it because screw it. Why not? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Whether or not I actually uh, root for that at all times. I don't know. Yeah.
1: I, mean, I, I, I have been fond of saying in uh, the Amazing Avenue Slack that Dom Smith is my favorite Met right now
0: <laughs> because
1: <laughs> I, I just think that you've really seen him. First of all, you've seen what the Mets maybe saw in him initially. Uh, but more than that, you, he just seems happy now. He just seems like he's, he's in a good place. And I like watching people enjoy playing baseball. So good for Dom Smith in that way. And I think there's a, you know, if he can be the 2019 Lenny Harris, that's great. Good for that guy. Uh, but I don't want to see him play left field ever, ever again. So, well, after tonight, I I do, I do want to watch tonight's game, so I have to uh, caveat there <laughs> a little bit. Uh, but anyway, let's get to our music recommendations. Chris, what's your uh, what's your pick this week?
0: So, Mavis Staples has made several records this decade, and uh, there's clearly uh, the connection. A whole lot of the music she's made has been with. Jeff Tweedy, who's written, uh, or in some cases, co-written with her, but in, in a lot of cases, written the, the songs uh, that she's performed and produced or recorded with her. Uh, so that's been a, a, a thing that was, a, a door that was opened by Wilco. Uh, she put out a record last week that, She did basically the same thing with Ben Harper, and Ben Harper, I think, is somebody who uh, is extremely talented, definitely one of the best live performers that I've seen, uh, and just super humble, super down to earth, and somebody who I think may have been classified, and and I don't think his '90s and you know maybe early 2000s, but 90s music was bad, but there's a couple more popular songs in there that might make certain people take him less seriously than than he should be taken. So he's somebody who knows how to write, who is a hell of a singer, can play guitar and sing like that all, all at the same time. So he made uh, he did the Jeff Tweedy role, uh, making a full album with Mavis Staples, and. Writing or co-writing all the songs and performing on it and singing on, I think, one of them. I've listened to the album a few times, uh, so if there's any slight factual errors, my apologies. But, <laughs> yeah, the album is We Get By. Um, just in looking at stuff for this, I didn't realize that he had written a song called Love and Trust that she recorded a few years ago that is definitely one of our best uh so you know those two working together it, it's got a very different feel from the songs she's worked on and written with Tweety and that's good i mean if you're putting out albums at the rate that she is it, it's you, you like to hear like a little bit of a different feel so, oh, absolutely yeah so yeah it's it's a subdued and the, the tone of the music, the message isn't subdued. Uh, but the, the overall feel of it is, um, sort of like stripped down bass heavy, uh, and, and just relaxing. But the things she's singing about aren't any less relevant or, uh, less meaningful. So yeah, that, that's mine. It's a long, long explanation, but we get by Mavis Staples. Uh, Well, I I did want to say,
1: you know, I really only know Ben Harper by a couple of songs and then a couple of people's like (laughs) this is going to sound so judgy of me. Like there are a couple of kids in high school who wore Ben Harper shirts and I judged Ben Harper based on who was wearing his T-shirts. Right. uh, Which I think is something that high school kids just do right um oh yeah so i have never really delved into the ben harper catalog so maybe i should do that yeah we'll see yeah is there a place you can recommend me starting
0: um let's see hmm i'd actually say yeah so he's he's worked with so many people
1: um The one album I do have by him is he he was in a band with Joseph Arthur and Danny Harris and George Arthur Harrison's son called Fistful yes. of Mercy. Yeah. And I like that album. So I do yeah. have that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's that's good. I would say his own records starting at let's see. White Lies for Dark Times. Uh most of the records he's put out since then have been not with the innocent criminals, which was, you know, his band's name for for his first third, first half of his career. Right. But the the two records he made with Charlie Musselwhite, the harmonica player, those those might actually be like the best window into it all. I mean it's I I wish he had done a live record of he played solo at Carnegie Hall and Man, that was easily one of the best shows I've ever seen. And, you know, threw in... He covered Atlantic City by Springsteen and just fucking nailed it. And uh, he played um, Pearl Jam song, um, Indifference. Oh, wow. And he, he sang that on... And he played Vibraphone and and sang that. Um, not that the covers are the only thing that makes them, but there's there's just this depth to it that the records have, they, they, they have it, but they don't quite fully capture the live. Sure. Yeah. You know, take of it, but yeah, it's, I think exactly what you were saying, you know, you associate memories from when he was at his most popular with like his overall image. But, uh, but yeah, there's there's some really good stuff there. And some of those old songs, I'll, I'll, I'd i still happily hear them. But, you know, having seen him and heard him just talk about it either in interviews or on stage, I, I know that not going back into the 90s stuff is preferable to him. You know, he, he. I think he's at his most comfortable when he's doing the things that are from the last 10 years.
1: Right. Well, I definitely have to check that out more. So, thank you for your uh, your knowledge yeah, there. Sure. Um, so, m- my choice—I'm I- probably going to butcher this name—but um, I was I was really sort of a casual fan of Stereo Lab. I was never a huge Stereo Lab fan. Um, okay. But somebody recommended an album that came out two years ago by the female singer from Stereo Lab, and this is the name I'm going to butcher. I believe it's Letitia Sadier. Um, okay. Her band is called the Latitia Saturday Source Ensemble, and it's—I don't want to say it's dissimilar to Stereolab, but there are elements of that. But there's a lot of like really interesting, like mallet percussion, like marimba and vibraphone stuff on the album, mixed with some electronics, mixed with some just really, really good songs. I couldn't believe when I was listening to it, like how one of those things where I feel like. uh I hate when I find something like a couple of years too late. Like, why did no one tell me about this earlier? You know, and <laughs> there were so many things on this album where I was like, oh my goodness, that's exactly what I would want. If I were like, if I were designing an album from the, from the top down, right. If I was saying, I right, hear the things that I want, on this on this album. I would want really strong songs. I'd want interesting percussion. I want cool harmonies. I'd want little bits of electronics mixed in there. Like all of that is there. It's it's it was it felt like this is so up my alley and I did not find it until, you know, a couple years later. So, um but anyway, that's I'm glad I found it to begin with. Um it's it's a super engaging record. It's something that I find myself Coming back to an awful lot. Uh, I found that I guess about a year ago, and every month or so I'll be on Spotify just, you know, looking for something to listen to, and I'll see it there in my saved albums, and I'll listen to it again, but oh, this is still really, really good. Um, and uh, I feel like it's the rare album that I found the last couple of years that. I didn't burn myself. I tend to be somebody who burns himself out, burns himself out on an album for a little while. I'll listen to the same thing, like you know, for two weeks straight, and then I won't touch it for a while. And I've never felt burned out on this album in the year I've been listening
0: to it. So that's yeah that that that's that's high praise from me. Yes.
1: Um. So yeah, that's my 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 choice. uh, The name of the album I don't know if I said it is "Find Me Finding You." by Letitia Sadier. And uh, that's going to do it for us this week. We do have an amazing avenue and conversation tomorrow, a very fun one. Chris and I just recorded it before we did this, and we were saying, like, maybe it'll go 20 minutes, maybe it'll go 25 minutes. It went an hour about. <laughs> but, um, uh, in, in
0: the spirit of uh, Jeff. <laughs> Yes, yes. It's only it, appropriate that the Josh Satin conversation went longer than expected.
1: Yes, exactly. It is it is our tribute to our friend Jeffrey. Uh, so uh, definitely come back and check that out. Go to AmazingAvenue.com where you can read lots of great stuff about the Mets. You can hear our uh, fellow podcasts, which we are super proud of and are a lot of fun. You can find those podcasts on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find those uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. That helps us out quite a bit. Uh, you can follow Chris on Twitter. He's at Chris McShane. I'm at Brian Needs And Nap, and uh, I think that'll do it for this week. So hopefully the Mets have another two good games in L.A. And then uh, we can hopefully be talking this time next week about the Mets having a nice road trip ahead of their return to City Field. And so until then, let's go Mets.